1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn on the Jets Live. I'm your host, Stephen Zance, joined by my co-host, Stephen Russo. We are joined by a very, very special guest, the radio voice of the New York Jets, who also does plenty of work in college football, basketball, and now at the NHL for ESPN, Bob Oshusen. What's up, Bob? How are you doing? Good, guys. How are you? Great. Doing How well. are you, Stephen? Doing very well,
0: Bob. Super excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm going to start off with uh, what I think is kind of a, an easier question, but Given uh, COVID and the state of the Jets in 2020, was that season one of the most difficult that you've had to uh, to cover and call for the team? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, it's the most difficult we ever had outside of the year where both quarterbacks got hurt like two minutes into the season. You know, poor Brooks Bollinger got thrown to the wolves. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a hard year. Um, if there was one small blessing, I kept saying this to Marty Lyons as we were doing all the games, we were trapped in Florham Park while the team was on the road. But we weren't on the team playing. We weren't in the locker room after games. And, you know, 14 out of 16 weeks, the locker room was a miserable place to be. And the team <laughs> playing home, I'm sure, was a miserable place to be. So uh, if there was one small silver lining, I guess that was it. Probably a good year to be away from a team as, as much as possible and still do our <laughs> jobs. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would never want to repeat that.
1: Yeah. i yeah. either. Uh, see you there. there definitely makes your job tougher. And, you know, as fans, it was tough for us as well. Um, You know, kind of transitioning off of that, you know, there's a lot of optimism surrounding the team. So I know, obviously, you know, a lot of people inside the building. I know you just mentioned to us that you haven't been in the building just yet because of COVID, but you're hoping you'll be in there in a couple of weeks once camp opens, but based on the conversations and zooms you've had with people on the team and, you know, the front office, what's the pulse of the team? I know it's optimism for the fans. I'm just curious of what you, what you've heard and, you know, different things that have been spoken about to you.
2: Yeah. I mean, Robert Sala has an infusion of enthusiasm just about, um, so yeah, turning over kind of a whole new leadership leash leaf, I think is, um, is, is felt there now again, it's hard because even the people that work full time for the jets haven't been in the building. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, COVID has everyone scattered to the zoom world like this. Um, you know, everyone trying to do their jobs remotely slowly, but surely people are being phased back in. But uh, I'm as anxious as anyone at some point to hopefully be there to talk to people and, and, you know, feel that pulse a little bit more myself because, you know, it's been the better part of two years. We haven't been in the facility, Um, you know, but there's no question that there is a level of optimism. I think that, you know, talking to Joe Douglas and, and the guys that work in his orbit heading into free agency, into the draft, and even some of the moves like bringing in Morgan Moses um, last week. I mean, that, you know, that, that's a level of talent that they haven't had several years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that they feel like they're turning the roster towards what their vision of a football team is. Um, and, and I think they have a lot of belief that they've got a young quarterback to build around as well.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. And, you know, we're really excited about Morgan Moses. I think that that was one of the best signings that people haven't really spoken about in free agency, just because it was later, but I am really excited to have him in the building.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, bookend tackles make a big difference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, huge. And, you know, you mentioned Joe Douglas and he kind of had an odd start right uh, with the jets. He came in 2019 when, you know, the work was pretty much already done for the off season. So do you, are you getting the feeling that he's really starting to, you know, put his fingerprints on this team? We're going to start seeing the effects of that in this year.
2: Yeah, it's odd um, because it feels like he's been here for five years and he's only run two drafts and really one kind of difference making free agent class. Um, You know, it was interesting talking to him when he got hired about the fact that he like he felt it was in a way advantageous to get the job when he did, which Mm -hmm. seems strange that all the money would be spent, all the draft choices would have been chosen. And then he came in, you know, normally teams hire a general manager in January. He kind of does a crash course on the roster. And then he goes out and makes the off season decisions and spends the money and, and, you know, and drafts his players and starts to remake the team. And, you know, he said that it, there was almost a feeling, you know, of like, I've got all this time on my hands getting the job when he did <laughs> You know, a lot of times it's it's kind of a you know an unadvantageous position to be in um, when you get the job in January and all of a sudden you got to go through free agency and you gotta go to the combine and you gotta draft and, and you have like a crash course on your roster. And he said, what general manager ever has a full season to watch 16 games worth of a roster before I make my decisions? You know, he was so prepared for his first offseason, he felt, because he got the job seven months before most general managers get the job. And in an odd way, he looked at that as an advantage rather than people looking at it as a hindrance that you're being handed, you know, a roster where all the decisions have already been made. So I think I think he made the best of, of that situation
0: yeah so do you think that he i think there's a sentiment among such fans that says that he really considered 2020 as kind of an evaluative year as well Correct. knowing that adam gase may not be around forever he kind of looked at that as i'm not going to put all my eggs in this basket let's sit there and assess again do you get that sense as well yeah there's no doubt i mean he you
2: know again most of the big decisions were made yeah. so you know Normally a general manager comes in, you know, the season ends, you have the black Monday or whatever coaches and GMs get fired. You go through a process and it might be mid to late January, early February when the new guy is hired three weeks later, you're like on the verge of the combine and you're getting ready for free agency and you're going to draft. And you know, you're probably spending a month like going through all of the tape of a team. He went through an entire season of watching the team in person, of being at practice, of being in meeting, you know, in rooms where he's having meetings with the guys who are, you know, with the players in touch with them every day. He's, you know, he, he was able to evaluate a team up close and personal in a way that very few, if any general managers probably ever have when they first get the job.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely interesting. And it probably gave him a lot of perspective of really what he was looking for because he saw, things that he probably liked and things he didn't like. So I, I definitely think it's helped him shape the roster the way it is today because he saw what it looked like if it wasn't his handpicked team. Um, so, Bob, just transitioning a little bit to Zach Wilson. I know you mentioned you haven't met him yet because, you know, there's been a lot of restrictions, but you've been on a few Zooms with him. I'm curious, you know, your initial thoughts. Um, I'm not sure if you have called any of his games and he was at BYU over the course of his college career. But, you know, if if you have any thoughts on him just as a prospect, you know, watching some of the tape and highlights, just curious what you think of Zach.
2: Yeah, I mean, he definitely has that it quality. Um, you know, he he definitely exudes that I got this, um, you know, personality, which I think is very important in New York because you will be in a spotlight in a way that you're not in other towns. And I know other towns mm-hmm. kind of take umbrage with that. But like there will be every bit as much, if not more attention on Zach Wilson than there will be on Trevor Lawrence, who's the first pick in the draft. Doesn't matter. You're in Jacksonville. You know, you've got two beat writers, you've got the local TV stations, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, In New York City, every game afterwards, if and when we're allowed back in the locker room, is like Super Bowl-level, you know, media, because we just have many more people here. Um, You know, I always drew the comparison. If you go back to when Mark Sanchez was the quarterback of the Jets, and Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, the Bills gave a huge contract to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Their numbers were very similar. And there were uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw a boatload of interceptions in Buffalo. Nobody really cared. Mark mm-hmm. Sanchez threw a boatload of interceptions with the Jets. It was on Sports Center every single day. And yep. that's because you're in New York City. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Zach Wilson brings that, you know, I'm good with that attitude here. And I think that really is going to go a long way. I didn't have him in college. Um, we did not cross paths. I did not have BYU the last couple of years. I think the last time I'd be why you some Hill was their quarterback so uh, it's been a couple of years but um but the people that I've talked to are very confident that he can come here and handle this
1: that that's awesome and i I've heard similar things from people and there's definitely a lot of buzz around him I think the number one thing you hear from him is his processing and also the arm talent it just seems like he has like you know that NFL type arm he may not have like the strongest arm but he could just make all those dip crazy throws like they use the Mahomes comparisons. I'm going to throw water on that because I need to see it to believe it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do and, you know, looking forward to the preseason.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, the number one knock against him was level of competition this year. If you look at BYU, like who they played, I would counter that with who was he throwing to. And I don't think anybody that he threw to is going to get drafted in the top four rounds in the mm-hmm. NFL. I don't know if he's got one mm-hmm. scope position guy on his team that's going to play in the NFL. So that's the job of a scout, the job of a scout and the job, even, you know, when they had when when the Jets had to evaluate Sam Darnold or if you're the Carolina Panthers and you're sitting there saying, what will we give up for Sam Darnold? You're looking at him last year and you're watching him make throws and you're saying to yourself, all right, that throw that sailed three feet over the head of, you know, uh, uh, you know, a a, a former lacrosse player, um, (laughs) would that be caught by? you know, a legit NFL wide receiver. And that's the prognostication job of a, of a scout. I mean, that's, you know, when you're watching BYU, you have to be sitting there going, all right, well, he may have been throwing, you know, in his most high profile game of the season against Coastal Carolina. But at the same time, he's not throwing to NFL receivers. So I have to just look at the tape and say to myself, does that look to me like an NFL throw? And obviously they saw plenty to say yes.
1: Yeah, totally fair.
0: So um, I think one of the things that came along with the drafting of Wilson is that the Jets finally have something that they haven't had in a while, where they have a GM, head coach, and now a quarterback that are all kind of, there's a synergy there, they're in lockstep with each other. But Bob, if I were to ask you of those three, which one should have Jets fans most excited as they go to the future, who would you say? Is it Douglas, Sala or Wilson? Well,
2: I mean, they're obviously all completely intertwined, but I think the immediate impact on the team has to be Joe Douglas because he's picking the players. Um, We will see with Zach Wilson. We've obviously been down this road with quarterbacks before, and I'm sure Jet fans have every right to say, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. I think you will see it with him, but to be skeptical until it happens, 100% valid. What I would say is covering college football as much as I have over the last 15, 20 years – And all the times I've sat in tape rooms with the analysts that I've worked with, no matter what their background is, all of them, the minute they turn the tape on, go immediately to an offensive line. And their question when they're breaking down tape and get ready for a game is can team a block team B and if team a can't block team B, then team A is dead. And I don't care who their quarterback is. I don't care who the wide receivers are. They're going to have a really hard time if their offensive line stinks and for the better part of 10 years, the Jets neglected their offensive line. They tried to patch it together. They tried to find bargains on the free agent market. They tried to find mid to late round diamonds in the rough. And to me, the most encouraging thing that, you know, we get totally caught up in fantasy football stats and PPR and whether this running back, you know, (laughs) is going to get this many catches in a game. and, And it's all about skill position numbers the guys that know football, and I think the guys you want making your decisions for you, are guys that still realize this game is about whether or not you can block the other team. Mm-hmm. But you can't do any of that fantasy football stuff if you can't block the other team. And you have a general manager that gets that, a general manager that was an offensive lineman himself. And you can see these first two years, he's been able to put his fingerprint on the team. What has he done? He's completely remade the offensive line and made that a top of the draft priority. And the last time the Jets were any good, mm-hmm. they were living behind an offensive line where their front office made that a top of the draft priority. That's not a coincidence. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as much as I'm excited to have a new head coach that really seems like a rally around the leader type, and as much as I'm excited about, I think, what the prospect of Zach Wilson is, I I'm, I'm think I'm most excited about the fact that we have a general manager now, I think, that gets it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was literally going to go back to that point of 2009-2010. The Jets had the best offensive line in the NFL. It's no accident they were a playoff team and made back-to-back title games and really were close to going to the Super Bowl when they lost in Pittsburgh, which was the most heartbreaking game I've ever watched. (laughs) But, um, yeah, Yeah. no, I totally agree, and I think that, you know, I like where we're headed. I think – and, you know, Joe 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 Caparosa was on our show last week. He was saying we're one more offensive line away to have the conversation. Maybe this line could be as good as those lines – at that right guard i mean greg van roen could end up playing a lot better playing with much better players around him but a little skeptical just based on the results i saw last year but you never know i, I know Damian woody says if the linemen are good around it definitely elevates your game so i'm excited yeah. to see what he could do next to morgan moses and maybe an improved Connor mcgovern
2: yeah and you can't solve every problem mm-hmm. in your first two years i mean i i think people are now realizing and having watched the jets last year i think jet fans um as much as they hated Adam Gase, and as much as they wanted to dump on Sam Darnold, and mm-hmm. you know, look, everyone takes blame when you have a year like they had. Mm-hmm. But this was a massively untalented team. It just was. I mean, I mm-hmm. I, I believe, like most Jet fans, if they drew up a pie chart, would probably blame seventy to eighty percent of what happened on Adam Gase last year, and twenty to thirty percent on the players. I would flip that. I and mean, I think Adam Gase did a bad job, and there's there's no way around it. But to me, 75% of what happened last season was the fact that this roster still needed a major overhaul and a major talent infusion. And, you know, like they haven't addressed corner at all. They do have a guard spot that still needs to be addressed. They're going to have a very inexperienced backfield, most mm-hmm. likely. And it looks like you're going to have a rookie, maybe a second year player is kind of top of the depth chart running backs. Most people would have said running back was a big need for them in this past draft. They, dra- they drafted running backs, but they're going to be young and they're going to have growing pains as well. They have a brand new quarterback. So, you know, they're going to be young at some very important places and they have still several positions that they have not really addressed much at all. Having said all of that, this is going to look like a radically different team, I think, than last year's team. I mean, mm-hmm. it is going to look like a much more talented football team.
1: Yeah, that's that's all we want, really. We just yeah. want to see progress, and I think that's what we're going to say at the end of the season. You know, the team showed a lot of progress and really be optimistic heading into twenty twenty two. So I know uh, Stephen mentioned to us that he wanted, to, like you know, transition to a little bit more nostalgia. So I'm curious of what your favorite moment, you know, calling the Jets has been since two thousand two. Before you go into yours, I'll tell you mine. I was in college delivering food. It was the two thousand ten season. It was when they were in Pittsburgh, not the playoff game. It was. When they were there on the road and actually won the game, I'll never forget, I got back in my car and all of a sudden I hear you saying Jason Taylor gets a safety and that basically (laughs) sealed the game. Your enthusiasm just got me so excited because I wasn't able to watch the game because I was working and delivering food. But that was such a cool moment, even though it was from a guy who really isn't a jet, he's a dolphin to us and it was really weird to root for him. But just that that moment, I was like, wow, I can't believe they went to Pittsburgh and won that game. Curious of what your favorite moment to call was. Yeah. I mean, probably
2: the Bart Scott can't wait game, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, no one expected them to go up to new England and win that playoff game. So that was a lot of fun. And even very early on when Marty and I were together and we, you know, I remember our first year uh, of doing all of the games together. uh, They start off the year two and five, they rebound and win the division on the last Mm -hmm. Sunday of the season. Um, You know, that the place felt like it was going to crumble beneath us when uh, when they realized that their game against the Packers, you know, it circulated through the crowd that the Patriots, of all people, had helped the Jets out <laughs> and beaten the Dolphins at <laughs> overtime. And now all of a sudden the Jets are playing for a division. Um, and, you know, to call a 41 to nothing home playoff game. I remember walking out of the Meadowlands that day and saying to people, boy, that was a lot of fun. Like, how great <laughs> was that? 41 to nothing home playoff game. This team's on a roll. I can't wait to do more of those. That was it. That's the only home playoff game we've ever called. This is our 20th season. We called a home playoff game in year one, and they've never played a home playoff game since. So we've had some other fun times on the road, but I would really like to get back to what it would feel like for Jet fans Mm -hmm. at the end of a season, the season ticket holders, the most dedicated Mm -hmm. fans, the ones that are there every week, to be sitting in their seats in their stadium for a playoff game. Mm-hmm. because i'm sure there's probably i don't know i mean i'd have to ask the ticket people i'd be really curious it'd be a really interesting kind of elias sports bureau question to ask the jet ticket people what percentage of the jet season ticket holder base was at that game mm-hmm. what what percentage of the jet season <laughs> ticket holder base has never been at a home playoff oh, game yeah. this will be our 20th year together we've only been to one so i have yeah. to think there's probably a pretty good Portion of Jet season ticket holders that have never Ooh, been at a home playoff that's game. That's so, so sad. It would, it would it. be fun to uh, it would be fun to get back to that because that was a really
1: fun day. The closest thing yeah. we've seen to that since the game you just mentioned was the last game at the Meadowlands when they beat the Bengals like thirty eight to nothing. It basically right. was a playoff game. Yeah, it was that's a win the closest their thing.
0: Game.
2: Yes,
1: the that's closest right. thing. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so I'll
0: keep the nostalgia going here Bob but I want to ask you a question so you you've covered the Jets since 96 but if I were to throw what I would say the four best Jets teams are in that time frame so 98, 02, 09 and 2010 in the 14 playoff who's coming out on top and why and then did I miss any other teams that you probably would have had in or, No or-
2: no those are the ones I mean there's really you know like you said the 2002 team that really got rolling at yeah. the end of the year and won like seven of their last nine games and Pennington took over a quarterback and it became, you know, a feeling like maybe we've got a young quarterback that can take us. And Chad just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. Um, I, I think the best team that I've been in person to see all the games was that 98 and really the shame of it should have been 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nin- 1999 was, I think the deepest, most complete, most talented, most well-coached team. They, but their quarterback got hurt, and that was it. That was the, you yeah. know, I mean, you hate to say it, but, and, you know, like Bill Parcell said at the time, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Nobody felt sorry for them. But if anybody loses their veteran franchise quarterback, and at that point, that's what Vinny Testaverde was coming off the 98 season. They really felt like the best team in the AFC yeah. in
0: 1999.
2: I really think they were the best team that year going in. I would have really liked to have seen what that team could have been with Vinny healthy the whole year. So I guess I would lean on 98 because the quarterback in 98 was just different level. As Mm -hmm. much as I have a soft spot for Mark Sanchez, who's the nicest guy in the world. The Jets played around him
1: Mm -hmm, in
2: 2009 and 2010. They didn't play through him. I mean, they they avoided making him a big reason of why they were able to do what they were able to do. They based that on their defense, their run game, their offensive line. And once in a while, him being able to make a play off play action that team in 98 it was Curtis Martin obviously Mm -hmm. but it was Vinny I mean Vinny was unconscious that year
0: yes and you know I think uh your point about 99 again that would bring up some uh, some painful memories but that team they knew it that they had the roster to go and they made some key offseason additions I remember they got some veterans Eric Green from Baltimore the tight end there they signed Steve Atwater they were primed for a run and no one wanted to see the Jets down the stretch, which just shows what Bill Parcells did. Because once he made that move to Ray Lucas, I mean, I think they went six and two in the, in the last eight games that year and finished strong. And no team wanted to play them. It just shows how how good that roster really was.
2: Yeah, they were a really good team. Yeah, it was just, yeah. just such a shame looking back on it. Because Vinny, I mean, he came back after that, but he wasn't the same. You know what no. I mean? He just did that. That yep. was their shot when he was still the healthiest he was going to be. And, um, and they had put about as complete a team around him as they could. They
1: did. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's, I was really young in 98, 99, but you know, I've, I've heard all the stories from my dad and also from Steven since we started doing the show together. So Bob, I know you got to run a bit. So I wanted to ask you one question. It's not really jets related. So besides Marty Lyons, cause we know that's, that's your favorite partner. Who would you say is your favorite partner to work with, I guess, for college football or basketball, either way. And if you don't want to maybe, maybe necessarily name a favorite, who do you think you have the best chemistry with? Maybe that's, oh, a better. I, way.
2: I mean, it's, You know, I would like to think I've got good chemistry with all the guys that I work with. Hopefully (laughs) they're all sitting there saying I like working with them. Um, The guys I've been blessed to work with recently on college basketball. I've worked Mondays with Fran Freshill in the Big 12. And I've worked with Dick Vitale for the past three or four years. Every Saturday and and a bunch Mm -hmm. of other games as well. And he's everything that you would think he would be. You know, I mean, you want to talk about a guy that did not forget where he came from and still talks about how blessed he is to this day to have the job. That he's got. And Dan Orlovsky, who I work with right now, college mm-hmm. football wise for, for ESPN, um, you know, absolute blast to be around. Just the best guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brock Eward, uh, who made the move over to Fox, really happy for him because he gets bigger and better games than than we were given. Um, so good for him. Uh, but he was awesome to work with. I've, I've really been lucky. I've worked with a lot of great guys.
1: That's awesome. That I think the awesome. biggest the biggest thing that is like a crime is that Dickie V can't do the tournament. Like, I think that ESPN should let him do the tournament with the, like the Turner guys. He w- he would eat it up. It'd be amazing. I, th- I just think that we're being robbed. of That yeah. I think he deserves. He, he to gets do to that. do the
2: final four, but you'd have to be like in Belgium to see him because he does like the international feed
1: of the oh, final he? four. So yeah, so
2: Dick Dick Vitale does every year call the final four, but uh, you have to set your alarm for like three o'clock in the morning in Australia <laughs> or something to to watch it.
1: Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Bob, thanks again. We really appreciate you joining us. We're really excited to hear your voice again, calling the team and hoping more wins this year than last year. (laughs) Um, And also excited to see you on college basketball, uh, NHL, and also college football coverage. Thanks again, Bob. Really appreciate it. Thanks guys. Okay. Thanks very much, Bob. Take Take care. care. So that was Bob Weschusen of ESPN, you know, also of the jets and, you know, he was great. Steven, I, I loved him, you know, touching on the nostalgia question because I know you you love that 98 team. So I, do. I feel like you were happy to hear him say the 98 team and then also, you know, teasing 99 really being the, t- the team that, you know, the best that never was because, like you said, you know, Vinny went down and, you know, just it all went downhill from there. And everyone was saying that, you know, he should have went, that Parcells should have went to Ray Lucas a lot sooner. I've heard that a million times over. And it's probably true because he, he did play pretty well in a spurt for the Jets. And who knows, maybe if they went to him sooner, they actually maybe could have made some serious noise in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, 98 was a fun year and that team was um, top to bottom. They were just good across the board and they had such a good coaching staff. I mean, you talk about Bill Parcells being the head coach, Bill Belichick on defense, they had Charlie Weiss on offense. I mean, you go through the list of, you know, Romeo Cornell was on that staff. It was insane. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about, uh, Crebet, Keyshawn, you know, outside and, and Deidre Ward in the slot, Curtis Martin. I mean, it was, it was really good top to bottom. And, uh, and, and, you know, thinking about how we were really built to win in 99, and that was going to be the year. And Parcells knew it too. And he, you know, he made moves to, to make that happen. And it all went down. in uh, I think the second quarter of that first game and non-contact, you just knew it, you know, I think Curtis Martin falling. There was a, a botched, a uh, botched handoff there. Curtis Martin dropped it. And then Vinny went to recover it and boom, it was like the whole season just went down from there. And yeah, man, Tom Tupa, I think came in through a, a couple <laughs> touchdown passes before they went to Rick Meyer, lost the game. And then, yeah, it was too long before Ray Lucas uh, came in, but that was a fun one. It's good to hear Bob talk about him. He's been covering the team for, covering the team for 25 years. He's you know, he knows his stuff, but it was good to, uh, kind of pull on some of the, the good Jets memories and hopefully there's, uh, there's more to come, but I think, um, it was good having him talk about, uh, you know, the state of the team right now, the excitement around Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, Zach Wilson. I think we can all feel it. So, um, you know, it was good to have him kind of touch on those things.
1: Yeah, no, it was great. And I think it's crazy just even now, you know, with all the restrictions that, you know, are being left to just like in America, everything with people getting vaccinated, it's crazy. He just hasn't been in the building and, he hasn't been able yeah. to and- like it just seems like he's like yeah I spoke to Zach on Zoom but like you know we've never really met before I never covered him in college so it's like he it seems like he you know he doesn't have a full you know opinion or just how he thinks about him I mean I definitely think he's you know impressed and he's intrigued to see what he does but it's just crazy that someone you know who's so close to the team just hasn't been able to do that but yeah I'm I'm excited to hear Bob's voice you know calling some Zach Wilson to Elijah more touchdowns I think I think that's gonna make us all feel really happy and. You know, I'm I'm just super excited for the season back. It's it's crazy that camp opens. I think in I think three weeks from today. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it usually opens on a Thursday or Friday, mm-hmm. so it's around the yeah 28th. So I'm yep. um, super excited about that. But um, so Steven I'm curious. Um, you know, what's like the one thing that you you know are most excited about? You know, as we head into camp, I know the roster's pretty set in stone. There might be a few tinkers here and there as we get into camp with like cuts and everything. Probably a quarterback is going to be added. We've talked about that nauseam, but. What's like the one thing that's really got you going as we head into training camp three weeks away?
0: You know, there's a lot of uh, intricacies, things that we haven't had in a long time. I'm going to go a little more top line, broader perspective, just offense. Um, we have a, a deep wide receiver core, a rebuilt off offensive line, a young new quarterback that I think we're all excited about, um, You know, running backs that I think we can get behind. I think that's, you know, there's unproven uh, players there. But I think, you know, with this new system, and that's the biggest thing is is Michael Floyd's new system. I I think that's something that all Jets fans are yearning for. After, you know, defensive coach upon defensive coach being hired and lackluster offense and then Adam Gase for two years. Now we have Michael (laughs) Floyd that's coming from the Shanahan Uh, offense and seeing what he can do and his creativity and there's going to be some lumps and some growing pains we got to realize that you know it's a first-time coach and a first-time coordinator but um just offense i'm really excited to see how this team comes out in week one how they gel together over the course of the season um but really starting to you know to see points and and see the offense maybe outplay the defense a couple times in training camp as opposed to uh, what we're normally used to but (laughs) uh, i think that that would be my answer but how about you
1: yeah, no. I mean, obviously, all the new faces, obviously, Zach Wilson's super important. But honestly, and I I feel like you feel similarly about this, but maybe you just didn't touch on it. It's just Salah. I just I'm excited <clears> to see the quotes. I'm excited to watch some of his press conferences throughout, you know, training camp in the preseason. Because I know you've said to me, you like, you could listen to Robert Salah talk for hours about anything just because yeah. he just has that energy. And Bob even touched on it. He's just like he's just that kind of guy that's really going to galvanize the locker room and get everyone super excited and just want to go to war for him. So, yeah, I just think just the whole experience with him being the head coach and just reading about it. Cause I know like, you know, first week of August, second week of August, I'm reading about the jets pretty much every day. I'm reading on all different mediums, Mm -hmm. whether it's the athletic daily news, posts, just seeing all the different things that people are saying about the team. And the, you know, I think with a new coach, there's going to be a lot going on. I, and I keep saying this and I, I know I've touched on it a lot. I just think we're gonna get a lot of like Rex Ryan vibes without all the bravado. I think, He's gonna just get you excited. You're gonna like like what you hear from him, but he's not gonna, you know, say I'm gonna. I don't want to kiss Bill Belichick's rings or yeah. guarantee we're going go to the Super Bowl. He's gonna be more humble, but he's still gonna get you just really going. So I'm I'm just super excited for him to be our head coach. To be honest with you,
0: no, I I, I agree with you, and I think honestly the similarities you can draw to Rex Ryan. I think if you can kind of blend. Rex Ryan and and Bill Parcells taking over. That's what it kind of is for me. Mm -hmm. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that Robert Sala brings the same aura or has the same history as Bill Parcells. You Mm -hmm. know, nobody does outside of Ben Belichick. But the situation that they're taking over are eerily similar. I mean, you know, uh, Sala coming in and taking over for an Adam Gase-led team for two seasons that was 7-9 and and then 2-14. and that's uh, really a mirror image of, you know, Bill Parcells taking over for Rich Cote. This roster is going to overturn completely. It, we're, already, we're already seeing it happen. So if you blend kind of Rex Ryan being uh, a player's coach, you know, quote unquote, uh, a defensive mind, first time head coach, similarities there with Robert Sala, but then the situations that they're coming into, I think is is Bill Parcells-esque. And I think Joe Douglas kind of has his, uh, his fingerprints on that, you know, Parcells type because he was GM at the time too. So that's kind of, I think you can draw If and mold those two together. That's where, um, you know, where the similarities are. And I think that's what I'm – another thing that I'm really excited about as well. Yeah,
1: I agree. Maybe throw a little bit of Herm in there because Herm had some personality as well. I know yep. he's had the famous press conference. And, you know, Herm was definitely one of the better coaches in franchise history. So, yeah, and, I mean, it's just – It's just hard not to be excited. I know, like, we don't expect a lot of wins, but, you know, I think that there's just going to be a lot of fun things that we're going to take away from this season. And I'm hoping that it really shapes the future of the franchise. And, you know, five years from now, we look back, you know, this was the beginning of, of, you know, this really strong era of the team. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that can really lead to perennial playoff appearances. And hopefully us holding that Lombardi trophy one day with the Greek (laughs) confetti, as I've fantasized about many times in my life. With yeah. the song "Trophies" by Drake playing in the background.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you know that's a good point about Herm. I mean, Herm made the playoffs three out of the five years he was here. When he had a healthy quarterback, he made the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that's you know that's the bottom line. It's a shame that he that he left and went to Kansas City, but uh, but you got to give Herm credit. But I, I agree with you, man. I hope someday we can um, get out of the. Let's be excited about seeing our name on the in the hunt graphic, and excited yes. about actually you know hoisting a Lombardi Trophy and maybe getting to the Super Bowl to see what that would actually feel like.
1: I mean, if we get to the Super Bowl, I'm going. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care where the location is. I am going. It's just, you just never know when that opportunity could really happen. And know, I've heard a lot of people, I know people who are Eagles fans that all went to that Super Bowl that a couple of years back. And they're like, obviously, if they didn't win, it wouldn't have been as great. But, like, just being there in that moment and just seeing it and soaking it all yeah. in, you probably, like, would almost, like, pass out of just, like, just <laughs> you don't even really know what to do. And, like, honestly, yeah. I don't know what I would do. It would just be such a cool feeling and, you know. Hopefully, being with family members and friends, and just being like, just seeing all like this, these bad years just, you know, mm-hmm. piling up and piling up. And then it all leads to this moment. It's like, yeah, I just, I just want to experience That's all that all matters the, for me.
0: All the struggle we've been through is going to be worth it when we, when, when, when not
1: if, but when we get to that point. Oh, look at you making some guarantees <laughs> that we're definitely going to get Bowl. some positivity around here, man. That's no, I'm, what's I'm what's positive. I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic, but oh, you know, yeah, you we just, we need it it only matters what happens on the field and, you know, in the standings, if they win games, you know, I'm going to ride with it. But if they're losing, I'm going to turn on them. Even as much as I like Robert (laughs) Sala and I'm hoping to like Zach Wilson, you know, I just, they got to win games. I know this year is kind of a honeymoon because it's a new coach, new quarterback, but the pressure's on Joe Douglas. He's got to build this team. And, you know, we need a backup quarterback. We need corners. (laughs) I know he's going to address those things. Hopefully sooner rather than later Corners, I think next year, backup quarterback, hopefully in the next month. I did mm-hmm. see that um, an ESPN beat writer for the uh, for the Bears said that he thinks that Foles would be the the cut the guy who most likely to be cut just because of the yeah. salary. So, you know, if that happens, we have to you know scoop him right up immediately because I'm terrified to know what the Mike White or James Morgan experience would be because I saw Luke Falk and I don't see it being much better than that. Maybe a tiny bit, but. My eyes burned after watching those two games.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one thing I could say is I know uh some people have talked about it, but if we are uh relegated to that, then at least it, James Morgan, I think, will chuck it up and throw it down the field and won't be this, you know, check down Charlie like Luke Flop yes. was and just be completely handcuffed. We'll, you know, give his guys a shot, throw the ball up, at least give us some excitement. But yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. if Zach Wilson <laughs> goes down, I'm not looking forward to any extended time really by anyone else. And that includes Nick Foles
1: yeah no that's that's very true but like I said i I think I've mentioned this a couple of times it can't be worse than last year I don't even no. think even if though if he goes down it'll be even as bad I just think the team will be better prepared. I don't think they're gonna quit on games I just think that you know They'll fight, they'll probably lose, but you know, you'll be a little more entertained and more intrigued to watch because you're still yeah. going to want to see the other guys on the team perform. And you know, it's not like you're watching Frank Gore and Joe Flacco, which to me is crazy to think that that was what we had to watch last year at times. Yeah, no, no disrespect to either of them. Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer, Joe Flacco, good quarterback, super bowling quarterback. But in 2021, when they're both in their late thirties, that's not what you want to see. on a football team.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not, not what I wanted to watch on an 0 12 team is uh, Frank Gore getting, you know, second and 12 carries up the middle.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, any closing thoughts, Stephen, before, you know, we, we end this episode.
0: No, I, you know, I thought it was great having Bob on. I'm glad that he jumped on. It was good to uh, talk about the state of the team, pull on some Jets nostalgia. It's always fun. Hopefully we can get back to some of those, uh, you know, good thoughts and good memories. Uh,
1: relatively soon. Yeah. I'm hoping in the 2000 and the 2030s, we're talking about the 2020s and stuff. That's my hope. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Like I've always mentioned every week, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the turn of the jets podcast feed as well as badlands and definitely get that Badlands merch. I love my tank top. I wore it all weekend. It was great. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks.